Did you love that song? I love it. One of the things I'm, I love to find out from people is how you wound up in Anderson. Because uh, if I, I asked a lady the other day, she was from, she's from Russia, and I said, what brought you to airline? Uh, what brought you to Anderson? She said, Delta Airlines. I was like, oh, <laughs> that was a great answer. But I've lived in Anderson. Uh, I came to Anderson College, now Anderson University, in 1990 and never planned on staying. I just kind of stuck, and I, I love the community. And one of the things I love, one of the things I love is, um, and most this isn't going to be a surprise, is I love food. I'm a, I'm a foodie. I'm a food snob. I don't do a ton of chain restaurants. Chick-fil-A's an exception, but that's like God's restaurant, so I can, that, that doesn't count. So I've always loved local places, like local local places like you know, Mama Pins or Sullivan's or something like that. Well, years and years and years ago, there was a restaurant that opened. Now, I'm not going to tell you the name of the restaurant because the owner's cousin's probably watching online, and I'll get blasted, and I got enough problems with Chance because he pooped in the house yesterday. So anyway, it's just unfiltered. But it was a great restaurant. I thought it was really, I mean, it, was, it served great food. They it were great servers. There were... Um, the food portions were large, which is important. It's important to have large because the little fruit, fruit, uh-uh, I'm, I'm not doing that. And their, and their signature dessert was like this brownie with a Hershey bar melted on top of it and vanilla ice cream. They, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. And so I went to this restaurant a lot. If I had guests come in from out of town, I'd be like, oh, you got to go to this restaurant. We'll go and we go. Um, but slowly over time, it, it, I began to notice it wasn't as, as clean as it was when it first opened. And then as I started, you know, because I went there like maybe twice a week, um, some of the wait staff that some of the servers, they kind of began to fall away and other people came in. And then like a new manager came in because the other manager, I don't know what happened, restaurant controversy or whatever, but he, he left. And so another manager came in. The quality of food started going down. The portion sizes, that was the big deal. The portion sizes so, and, and all of a sudden, the prices would go up. They would, they would feature a new menu. Now, here's a secret about a restaurant featuring a new menu. When a restaurant features a new menu, what they're really saying is we jacked up the prices um, because the, the prices are never cheaper. They changed the menu like three times. And I remember my, my final time in that restaurant, I went in and I said, um, I got a sandwich and some fries. And I was like, ma'am, could I have some ketchup with my fries? And she said, yeah, that'd be a quarter. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, it's a quarter for a cup of ketchup. I'm like, you know what? I'm feeling generous. I'll, I'll drop a dollar on the ketchup tonight. Just bring me some. And, and I remember telling the group when I left, I said, I think, I think they've gotten a bit greedy, and it's, and it's going to shut down. And sure enough, the restaurant went out of business. And it's not because of me. It's not because of the ketchup. It was just like a bunch, a bunch of decisions. But I was thinking about that in relation to church, Having a conversation with somebody recently, I said, in the south or in the southeastern part of the United States, we don't have a lot of unchurched people. We have a lot of de-churched people. And maybe you're here and the, 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 or you're watching online, and the experience that I just described with a restaurant was kind of your experience with Christianity. Maybe you were at one time in a youth group and you, were, you, know, you went to youth camp and you, you know, made the commitment the last night, I'm never going to do that again. And two weeks later, you were doing it again or whatever. But that's how youth camp goes. And you were involved in church and you, you, were, you were a volunteer and you served or you tithed or whatever. But slowly but surely, something happened. And it wasn't just one thing. It was a series of things. Before you knew it, you kind of drifted away. 
And if we were all honest, maybe, maybe, just maybe there's some people here today that there was a time in your life that you were closer to God than you are right now. Now, I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I say that to let you know that I'm glad you're here because you maybe kind of started stepping back in the water a little bit, kind of testing it out and seeing what church and Christianity is, is all about. And that leads us to our verse that, that kind of catapulted us into this series where Paul writes in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, for he has rescued us from, from the kingdom of darkness. And we talked about that the first week. And transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who, and this is what we're going to talk about this week, purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That's next week. Don't miss next week. Oh. Mm. Some of you are like, why did I come this week? Because we're going to talk about freedom. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of words that you could associate with Christianity. But with most of us in our experience, if we're just honest, freedom and Christianity don't hold hands. In fact, when I became a Christian, it's kind of like I got a list of the things I couldn't do, right? Like don't watch rated R movies unless they're about Jesus. Um, don't listen to secular music. Um, don't go there. Don't, don't do this. Don't do that. And, and there, was, there was a lot of things I could have talked about when it came to Christianity. But freedom wasn't one of those words. In fact, there's people here today, and I want to list for you five reasons that I believe these are, and this is my list. I didn't get this off the internet or anything, but five main reasons I believe that people at one point chose to maybe turn your back or walk away from Jesus. And maybe this isn't you, but maybe this is somebody that you know. And so this is, there's five reasons. If you're a note taker, there's five. Okay, here we go. Number one, science. I remember having um, a pastor tell me one time, now some of you probably heard this. I remember tell, a pastor telling me one time, men have one less rib than women, which means that the Bible story about Adam and Eve are true. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Now this is before Google, okay? And like way before Google. So I remember it was my freshman year in college. I'm in a biology class about a month later and my biology teacher says, I know that some of you have probably heard your preacher say, men have one less rib than women. And I'm waiting on him to say, it's true. And he said, it's not true. And if your preacher told you that, he's a liar. I was like, my preacher's a liar. That really happened. There, there's this whole thing of science and Maybe you were you a believer, but I know some, so many people that have gone to college or, or watched a YouTube video about something scientific and it doesn't really agree with the Bible. And so you just kind of throw Christianity out the door. But here's the deal about science. Science, if we really pay attention to it, it doesn't, it doesn't push me away from God. It actually draws me closer. Like there's people here like, well, what about creation? What about evolution? What about creation? What about evolution? What about creation? Did you, it, it doesn't matter. Now, this is where, just, just hear me out. Hear me out because there's a, God created the world in six days. Listen, listen, I don't care how he did it. I just know that he did it. Okay, that, that's what I want you to put out there. And, and what about the dinosaurs? Well, first of all, glad they're not here anymore because it would suck to have a T-Rex going down Clemson Boulevard while I'm trying to get a church. I don't know about the dinosaurs. I don't know about how God, I just, listen, 
Genesis is not a science book. It's a history book. It doesn't tell how it happened. It tells who did it. I don't care if he did it in six days. I don't care if he did it in six million years. I know God is the one that did it. And at the end of the day, I don't care what science is, God did it and how he chooses to do things is his business, not mine. Because my faith is not, listen, our faith as Christians is not built on a literal six-day creation. And if it is, that's why your faith is so weak. That's why your faith can fall. So we don't have to believe that the, that the world was created in a literal six days. Our faith is built on something stronger. It's better than that, which leads to number two, which leads to number two. Now, I want to pause. Don't leave here saying, well, Pastor P said he didn't believe in the six-day creation. I don't know. I wasn't there, and you don't either. Booyah. <laughs> pain and suffering. This is a reason people walk away from Christianity. Pain and suffering. And I get it. I preached for um, a friend of mine at a church um, probably about two years ago. And I was walking off the stage, and his band was playing, and I was so excited that I just hopped. I don't know why I hopped. I'm not a hopper. I don't hop. But when I did, I felt something in my left Achilles kind of go, you should never do that again. And for about the next six months, I was kind of kind of held back from running. I couldn't run. I couldn't go where I wanted to go. Couldn't do, I couldn't go at a pace because I had pain and suffering. Now, it set me back, but it didn't stop me. There's not a person in this room, there's not a person watching online that has not experienced pain and suffering in your life. But Jesus never promised us a life without pain and suffering. In fact, he guaranteed we would have it. Pain and suffering does not mean that there's not a God. Pain and suffering is evidence that we need something supernatural to actually make it through this life. So if you feel like you've been pushed away through pain and suffering, I understand. I understand. But our faith is not built on the foundation of we will never have pain we will never have suffering. It's better than that. It's better than that. Third reason I think people walk away is because of hypocrites. Hypocrites in the church. Hypocrites in the church. Hypocrites in the church. You know what I start telling people now? You're right. We're all. All of us. All of us. You are, you are sitting next to a hypocrite. You didn't have to really amen that, but I mean, that was. All of us, all of us have said one thing and done another. Sometimes it's accidental. Sometimes it's not accidental. But at, at the end of the day, Romans says, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So yes, yes, the church is full of hypocrites and we've got room for one more. See you Sunday. All right. So here we go. Number four, number four. Number four is the treadmill. Now, some people are hanging on a treadmill. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's people in this room, there's people watching online. You've gone down this road before. People are like, you need to read your Bible. Okay, I'm going to read my Bible. Need to pray. Okay, I'm going to pray. Need a journal. I'm going to journal. Need a volunteer. I'm going to volunteer. Need to tithe. I'm going to tithe. And you feel like you're on the religious treadmill and you're getting nowhere. I ran on a treadmill this morning. Now, I ran 
six miles, but I stayed in the same place. And that's how some people feel when it comes to Christianity. It, it, it felt like you were doing everything that everybody was telling you to do, and you, you had a lot of activity, but there was actually no spirituality to back up that activity, and so you just walked away. And last but not least, and this is this is this will be fun. Last but not least, is some of you have been hit, not encouraged, not built up, but hit with the Bible says. The Bible says a lot. Now I love the Bible. I'm a Bible guy. You know, different people connect with God in um, different ways. Uh, I connect with God through reading scripture. I love to read scripture. I'm a Bible geek. Um, I love connecting this thing and here to here to here and kind of wrapping it all together. I love it. But there are people in this room that have been wounded by what, quote, someone told you the Bible says. Now, let me put my cards on the table, and this will be so much fun. I believe that the entire Bible is equally inspired. I do not believe the entire Bible is equally relevant. Ooh, it got, you could have heard a rat fart up in this place. Now, I know what you're thinking. Perry, she didn't believe the Bible. I didn't believe, I didn't say that. I believe, I believe the Bible, but I don't believe it's all equally relevant. Well, yes, it is. Have you read it? Have you read it? Like, can we apply every single verse in the Bible? Because if so, I got a question. What about this verse? Now, this, I, it's just, this is what the Bible says. Two Israelite men get into a fight, and the wife of one tries to rescue her husband by grabbing the testicles of the other man, which will work, by the way. It'll stop a fight. You must cut off her hand. Show her no pity. The Bible says... So if, there's a, if we're going to follow the scriptures, if there's a fight in the parking lot today, <laughs> get our security team with like some samurai swords, I guess. I don't know. Hey, mate, come in here. Come in. No, put your hand down. Put your, put your hand down. We're going we're gonna to do what the Bible. Can we, can we agree? Can we agree that that, that maybe doesn't uh, like apply anymore? Like we don't have to do that? I, and I, First of all, I'm like, was this a problem in Israel? Like, did the women get together and go, there's too much fighting? I think I know how to figure out how to stop it. Just. <clears throat> so some of you have been, some of you have been pushed away by what the Bible, well, the Bible says this, or the Bible says this, the Bible says you shouldn't do that. The Bible says you has to, have to do this. And the Bible says, um, that my favorite is the no tattoo verse, like the no tattoo, like the Bible says no tattoos, and the Bible says this, and the Bible says this. The Bible says a lot, but I want you to listen. Our faith in Christ is built on something so much greater than the Bible says. Our faith in Christ is so much better than anything on this list. Let me go back. Anything on this list. Science, 
It's better than pain and suffering. It's better than a lack of pain and suffering. It's better than hypocrites. Um, it's better than the treadmill. It's better than... Our faith in Christ and Christianity is built on something so much better. In fact, I'll say it this way. The resurrection is the reason for our faith and hope. The reason that we can have faith and hope is because of a resurrection. Not because we have no pain and suffering, not because the Bible says, not because of the treadmill, not because of hypocrites, but the reason that we can actually have hope in our life is the tomb is empty. Some people want to talk about it's the crucifixion. No, thousands of people were crucified. Only one lived to tell about it. And that is the foundation of Christianity. So if you've walked away for one of those reasons, I understand because one of those would have probably caused me to walk away too. But the foundation of our faith is that the tomb is empty. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul said it this way in a, in a letter he wrote to a church in Corinth. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. useless. The reason we can have hope today is not because of a six-day creation. It's not because of what the Bible says. It's because the tomb is empty, and Jesus is Lord. And that's where everything started. When Jesus exited the tomb, people said, we're going to, now what he said, everything that Jesus said, like, love one another, serve one another, treat others like you would want to be treated. All that stuff carried some legitimacy because if a man predicts his own death and then pulls it off, I'm following that man. Now there's some, <laughs> because of the resurrection, there's, and, and this happens every Easter. You'll see some special on the, like the History Channel or Discovery Channel. They always try to go, did Jesus really rise from the dead? They'll kind of go into it. They came up with several theories to try to disprove the resurrection. First, it's called the swoon theory, that Jesus did not die on the cross, passed out. Once he got in the tomb, the cold, damp tomb revived him, rolled away the stone, walked away, found his disciples, and inspired a movement that's lasted for two thousand years. Anybody, anybody ever watch zombie movies? Walking Dead, all that. I tried to Walking Dead. I couldn't do it. I, I just, I just, I was like, number one, I, it made me have bad dreams. And number two, if that ever happens, I want the zombies to eat me first. I just want to go. I, I don't, I don't want to fight zombies because they just keep coming. I'm like, dear God, did they, and they're, they're, you got to run out of zombies sooner or later. So there, there's my whole philosophy on zombies. But thank you. But the Romans were experts at putting people to death. They knew how to do it. So, so this theory says Jesus, who was wrapped up in a burial cloth, by the way, and had 75 pounds of spices put on him, he had been beaten. By the way, most people didn't survive the beatings. Actually, if you dig into the scripture, we'll see that he was beaten on three separate occasions. And then he's hung on a cross he dies by suffocation because his lungs fill up with blood. Remember, he's fully God but fully man. So then they, you're telling me that they wrapped him up, put him in the tomb. All of a sudden, Jesus wakes up and goes, I'm not dead. Monty Python, I'm not dead yet. Like, like, like he has one of those moments. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. He kind of, 
wiggles out, you know, and he kind of rolls back the stone. And that, listen, if I'm one of the disciples and that walks in the door, I'm going out the back door. But it's amazing that the theories that people will come up with to say that Jesus didn't really, by the way, they've just, I mean, there's no way he just passed out. Because a beaten, bloodied, bruised Jesus could not inspire a group of scared apostles to go out and tell that he was alive. Which leads to number two. The disciples stole the body and made up the story. You ever made up a story on the spot? Say yes. Yeah, you, you have. You took your kid into school. Why are you late? We're late um, because a herd of buffalo came. I mean, like you just kind of make something up on the spot. There, there's a theory out there that says the disciples made up the story, or the disciples stole the body, and then made up the story about how Jesus was alive. There's a couple problems with that. Number one, if you're making up a story about you, then you always look good in the story, Right? The disciples talk about the fact that after the crucifixion of Jesus, they were scared. They were all, Every time we see them in the scriptures, they're hiding. They're scared to death. So somehow, this group of ragtag, scared men from Galilee found the courage to go wrestle the Roman guards, defeat them, get Jesus out of the body, put him in Thomas's closet, right? And then go tell everybody that he's alive. The other problem with that is all the disciples were martyred because they talked about the resurrection. They couldn't keep, and, and by, if, I, if, it, if it's a lie, and there's 12 of us, and I see that the third guy die, I'm like, you know what? Jesus is in Thomas's closet. Y'all go get, I don't even know what we're doing. We're just kind of hanging out. Like, there's no way that theory actually carries water, which leads to the third theory, and the third theory is this. The Roman or Jewish officials stole the body. Like, Jesus was buried, and the Roman Jewish officials were like, well, he's dead, but we've heard that he's going to say he's going to come back to life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to steal the body. And, and, and then when the disciples saw the body gone, they went and told everybody that Jesus is alive. Here's the problem. The Romans and the Jewish officials were so bothered by the fact that the disciples kept talking about the resurrection. If they would have had the body, they would have done a parade down Main Street going, no, you say he's alive. Here he is. But the reason they couldn't throw the parade is because they had no body. Jesus was and is alive. And that is the foundation of our faith. Now, I'm super excited because um, I'm leading a trip to Israel next year. And we'll put some time. We'll put, we'll, put, we'll put that information out. There's a few excited people about that. Like the great theologian Forrest Gump once said, it's this whole other country. <laughs> but, but there's a fascinating debate in Jerusalem today. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I kind of got caught up in it when I first visited. Um, because when you tour Jerusalem, they, there, there's, there's two sites where they talk about the burial of Jesus probably took place. I, I just want to show you this. Thank, thank God for Scripture and for Google Maps. This, this right here, this right here, this is the old city. This is the Jaffa Gate. Right inside this gate, up this little alley right here, is a restaurant called Nefora that has the best chicken you've ever had in the world. Trust me. 
has nothing to do with the sermon. Get back to here. Right here, you see the church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now, it's inside the city, but during the days of Jesus, it would have been outside the city, okay? And right here, you have the garden tomb Jerusalem. Now, this is, this is where, um, if you've ever seen pictures of, of me in, in Israel, this is, this is the garden tomb. This is where we do communion, and we sing, and it was just great. And, and it's just right outside the city. And then the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, I've had some pictures up of that. It's right outside the city. There's a debate. And the debate is, some people say that the tomb was here, and some people say that the tomb was here. Some people say that Jesus emptied this tomb, and some people say that Jesus emptied this tomb. And I got, in, I got into a debate when I first started, because I, I, I like getting into stuff like that. But then one day, I, I was seriously, I was standing in the garden tomb arguing with somebody about whether it was this place or the other place. Then I paused. I just started laughing. They're like, are you okay? Like, have you hit the communion wine yet? I'm like, no, 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 no. Think about this for just a second. We're not debating whether or not he's alive. In fact, he's so alive, he emptied two tombs according to the debate. Jesus Christ is so alive. Nobody's saying he's there or he's there. Everybody's saying he ain't in there and he ain't in there. That's what we're talking about when it comes to Christianity. Now, here's why all of this matters. Here's why all of this matters to every single person in this room and everyone watching online. If Jesus is alive, if Jesus is alive, then two things. Number one, God is in control. God is absolutely in control. <laughs> I was, I was walking down the street with a friend of mine. I don't know if you've ever done this. This has happened to me. But I can remember this so vividly. Walking down the street, and my friend did one of these numbers right here. And I'm, I'm just, this, is, this is a reenactment, okay? It's the best I can do. I have a normal conversation. My friend's like. I was like, did they just get slain? Like, what, like what's going on? And then they got up, and they used a lot of words that I'm going to try not to say. And I said, what is, what is wrong with you? They said, oh, I'm sorry. I just walked through a spider web. I was like, I got it. Have you ever done that, right? You're just walking along, and you're just like, because, because if you walk through a spider web, you can feel them, like crawling down your shirt. Some of y'all right now, there might be one in your shirt right there under the collar. You've been feeling it the whole, isn't it funny what you can do with a power suggestion? Normal people go crazy when they walk. I've never seen anybody going, huh, just walk through a spider web probably going to die. Like that's never happened. You can go from normal to freaked out just walking through a spider web. Am I right? <laughs> because we are completely out of control. Now that's a funny moment, but all of us have had the spider web moments in life and it wasn't that funny. It was, it was the call from the doctor's office telling us that cancer is real. It was the call from school telling, telling you that your kid has messed up for the last time. Yeah. It was a call from that person letting you know that the marriage is over. Yeah. 
It was the realization that addiction was a reality in your life or in the life of somebody you love. And in those moments, it is so easy to believe that if there is a God, he's not in control. But let me ask you a question. When they arrested Jesus in the garden, was God in control? And when they took Jesus and beat him, was God in control? And when they took Jesus before Pilate, was God in control? And when they put him on the cross, was God in control? And when Jesus died, was God in control? You see, and when the resurrection took place, was God in control? You see, the same God that was in control of the crucifixion was also in control of the resurrection. And I can promise you that if you do have pain, God will not waste that pain because the God that is presiding right now over the crucifixion that's going on in your life is setting up a resurrection for you, is setting up a hope for you, is setting up, setting up something for you that you won't even be able to conceive or imagine. So if you feel like you're going through hell, you might be, and I'm not going to dismiss it. What I am going to say is God is in control, and he's doing more than you could ever imagine because the God of the crucifixion is the God of the resurrection, which leads to point number two, and point number two is this. Nothing is impossible. If the resurrection is real, then nothing is impossible. For some of you, maybe you followed my journey a little bit, but this week I, I pulled off something I've never been able to do. About a month and a half ago, Karis, my daughter, and I we were at the gym. She works out with me on every other Saturday, and we walked by a pull-up bar. Now, I'm 48 years old and never been able to do a pull-up. But, and my daughter asked me, she said, Daddy, can you do a pull-up? I was like, absolutely, because this is, you know, this is your little girl. So I lied. I really did because I was like, I don't know how to do a pull-up. So I, I just reached up on the pull-up bar, and I just knocked out three. And she was like, oh, that's cool. You should do ten. <laughs> like, you get your butt up there and do ten. I didn't say that. That's what I thought in my mind. All parents thought it at one time. So I put that as a goal. I was like, I'm going to do ten pull-ups. So I've, for the past about month, month and a half, I've been trying, I've been trying, I've been trying, I've been trying, trying. And this past week, I finally was able to knock out 10 pull-ups. It, 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 took, it took time. Now, now the reason I was able to do it is I gave myself a pre-game speech before I got ready to do the pull-ups because I've tried it about three times and failed. I'm not sharing the pre-game speech with you. I'm a little embarrassed about the pre-game speech, but you know what? I got it done. And I kept telling myself, you can do this, you can do this. Now, what's amazing is when I walked away that day, I was proud of my accomplishments because I had done something that I thought that I never could do. But as I got home and as I started kind of preparing for the rest of the day, I started thinking, why in the world would I celebrate what I can do when I should be highly focused on what? God can do because if if the resurrection is real, listen to me, then nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. 
That means if the resurrection is real, you don't have to be defined by your past because we have a God that's greater than our past and has an incredible future. If nothing is impossible, that means that depression and anxiety does not have to control us the way it's controlled us for far too long. If nothing is impossible, that means the chains of addiction can fall. If nothing is impossible, then we can walk in victory. If nothing is impossible, we can walk with our heads held high. If if nothing is impossible, we can actually walk out of here today knowing that there is a God who is in control. And even though our situation might not look good, it's ultimately going to be good because that's what God does. He takes ashes and he brings them back to life. We have a God today who is in control. And because he's in control, nothing is impossible. The resurrected, listen, the resurrected Jesus lives in you if you are in Christ. So before before we close today, I want us to do something a little bit different because the name that is above every name, if you're a Christian, is in you. I want us to focus on that. So you stand with me and let's pray. Father, thank you that the resurrection is real. God, I want to pray for all of us in this room who have maybe fallen away or stepped away or drifted away, that Jesus today would be the day that we step back in because your name is greater than any other name. And because you live in us, We can know that you're in control and nothing is impossible.